In February 1979, international icon Frank Sinatra pulled out all the stops. The singer charmed his way into every crowd's hearts, crooning the most famous tunes of his career. The audience at Chicago's Airy Crown Theater was no exception. They hooted and hollered with excitement. But as Sinatra neared the end of his set, his mood shifted. The singer rolled his eyes and addressed the audience directly, saying, And of course, the time comes now for the torturous moment. Not for you, but for me. He dreaded his final number every night, but tonight he let the crowd know it. He shouted at them, I hate this song. I hate this song. But he still had to sing it. It was what the people wanted. The lyrics gave meaning to his career and put a bow on every one of his performances. They ended with the words, The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Sinatra had his reasons for despising his hit song, My Way. Too much of a good thing can drive any person mad. But he had no idea that it would one day underscore 12 murders in corners of the world he never visited. He couldn't have, right? Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. This is our second and final episode on Karaoke Rage, the name for a global trend of karaoke-related violence that emerged in the early 2000s. Last episode, we tracked the consequences of karaoke rage across the world, from verbal abuse to physical assaults to mass murder, the phenomenon mystified the world, but especially the Philippines. Twelve homicides linked only by Frank Sinatra's popular song, My Way, stunned Filipino authorities. The string of murders has since been dubbed the My Way Murders. This episode will examine some proposed explanations for karaoke rage and will search for an answer to why one popular jazz classic turned into a harbinger of death. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. 
To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Karaoke Rage emerged in the United States in the early 2000s. The first My Way murder allegedly occurred around the same time in the Philippines, sometime during the year 2002. Primary sources documenting violence in Asian karaoke bars are difficult to come by, so it's impossible to know for sure. But we do know the term karaoke rage only appeared when Western media started paying attention. American bar culture fully embraced karaoke in the 90s, two decades after its invention in Asia, as a way for bars to attract customers. Contests, leagues, even live radio spots popped up across the United States. As they did, the atmosphere of nightlife changed. On karaoke nights, patrons shared more than just space. They shared an experience. Whether guests knew the words to every song or not, the music provided a common language. Strangers belting Smash Mouth or Britney Spears sparked conversation. And that conversation caused connections to form between guests who wouldn't otherwise speak. Of course, unintended consequences snuck their way in, too. In addition to sharing a new experience, patrons shared new property and new rules as well both of which granted bargoers the license to feel offended when fellow karaoke enthusiasts made less-than-courteous decisions. For example, if someone were to accidentally spit on the communal microphone during a performance. What's more, the rules that govern karaoke were fast and loose. Each bar had its own set, and each person had their own interpretation. The odds of publicly offending a stranger shot through the roof. In 2018, organizers of the popular Chicago festival, Riot Fest, interviewed three experienced karaoke hosts about what constituted protocol. Most gave common sense answers. Share the stage. Treat the microphone with respect. Don't cut into each other's time. Be yourself. Don't milk the audience for applause. And... Read the room. If the crowd is responding well to classic rock, it might be a good idea to stay the course. Judging by this, not much has changed from the early 2000s. Proper karaoke decorum in America has always been a bit ambiguous, with plenty of wiggle room for interpretation. Naturally, this gray area fostered resentment. A spectator could find a performer's decision to, say, take a bow, annoying, indulgent, or rude. Others could find it charming. Karaoke simply introduced a new set of social expectations for bar patrons to take issue with. By the early 2000s, when the term karaoke rage first appeared, roughly 10 years of warbling into microphones had already created a unique subculture in America. One that infiltrated establishments overflowing with one critical ingredient, alcohol. 
The practice of karaoke has varied worldwide, but alcohol has always been one of the few constants. More often than not, where there is karaoke, there's booze and lots of it. As you likely know, alcohol has a storied relationship to violence, one that has given way to its own subcategory, the bar fight. Logistically, alcohol consumption impairs self-control. Without restraint, an otherwise innocuous situation can easily escalate. Alcohol also reduces cognitive function, making anyone that chooses to partake less able to react. Worse reaction times limit a crowd's ability to de-escalate a situation, which can cause fights to spiral out of control. To summarize, alcohol increases the odds of violence breaking out and increases the chances it will become more destructive, especially in a small, dark room filled with bottles and glasses. Put into context, the history of karaoke rage in the United States almost makes sense. Ambiguous social expectations fostered an environment where frustrations were formed. Those frustrations were the match, and alcohol was the accelerant. As we discussed in the last episode, in 2007, an audience member assaulted a group of performers for singing Coldplay's Yellow in Seattle. In 2008, a Wisconsin resident attacked a fellow patron for their rendition of a heavy metal song. In both cases, the simplest explanation is probably correct. Irritations escalated to irrational heights simply because people were drunk. However, far fewer, if any, karaoke rage incidents in the U.S. ended in death. More than anything, karaoke rage made a splash because of its fatal reputation. The fact that something so innocent could lead to such incredible brutality. Murder isn't as easily explained as verbal or physical assault, and all documented cases of karaoke-related killings happened in pockets of Asia. To try to understand Asia's more lethal strain of karaoke rage, let's examine how practices differed from those in the United States. First and foremost, karaoke wasn't just a social pastime in Asia. Particularly in China, Japan, and the Philippines, it was a cornerstone of most social gatherings. Naturally, the prevalence of karaoke made incidents of karaoke rage statistically more likely. Simply put, if more bars in the United States incorporated karaoke, maybe karaoke rage would have led to murder there too. Second, Chinese, Japanese, and Filipino cultures place more value on strict adherence to karaoke etiquette. In the previous episode, we recounted the horrific double murder of two brothers in China in 2012. A nephew hacked two uncles to death with a meat cleaver after a fight broke out. That fight was over a four-year-old monopolizing the karaoke microphone. From the outside looking in, lack of respect for social standards might have fueled the barbarity. But even taking into consideration the difference in cultural etiquette, the punishment still doesn't match the crime. There seems to be a missing link, something that caused a young man to cleave two grown men to death. Pre-existing family dynamics or mental health disorders might have factored into the violence. We'll likely never know. In this case, the information just isn't available. 
However, when examining karaoke rage murders as a trend, people have suggested an explanation for the extreme nature of the violence that goes further than etiquette. In some parts of Asia, karaoke is more than just a way to blow off steam. It's business. At the Association for Education in Journalism and Mass Communication, American researchers presented an academic paper on the culture of karaoke. They noted that in Japan, you sing for your supper, literally. It's common practice for Japanese businessmen to bring potential clients to a karaoke bar when they want to close a deal. If a person's entire livelihood depends on a pleasant karaoke experience, any disruption to the atmosphere may be explosive, even deadly. Does it explain the 2012 double homicide? Maybe. There's not enough available information to draw a definite conclusion. What we do know is the connection between business and karaoke would still explain only a handful of cases. After all, the vast majority of karaoke rage murders happened in one place, the Philippines. Perhaps the most dangerous place to sing on the planet. Coming up, why karaoke is so deadly in the Philippines. Hi, it's Molly. In case you haven't heard, Parcast has an intense new original series I think you'll really enjoy. It's called Medical Murders, and it exposes the dark, disturbing, and deadly side of medicine. Every Wednesday, Medical Murders introduces you to the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead used their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Join host Alastair Murden as he examines the formative years and motives of history's most infamous killers, dissecting their medical backgrounds with expert analysis and professional insight provided by practicing MD, Dr. David Kipper. You'll investigate a wide range of heinous healthcare workers, like the general practitioner believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history or the dentist who led a double life as a hitman, or even the doctor and gang member who mixed deadly potions for unhappy housewives to use on their husbands. When it comes to these true crime stories, the only thing the doctor ordered is murder. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. Alcohol and ambiguous social expectations likely contributed to the worldwide phenomenon known as karaoke rage. But they don't fully explain the peculiar concentration of karaoke-related murders in one location, the Philippines. To reach any sort of clarity, it's important to first understand the universality of karaoke in the southeastern archipelago. As we mentioned, even the most rural, poverty-stricken areas owned a karaoke machine. They also put it to good use, daily. Like Japan and China, the ubiquity of karaoke in the Philippines made karaoke rage statistically more likely. But in the Philippines, there were also distinct socioeconomic factors at play. Roughly 25% of Filipinos live in poverty today. 
In 2018, only about one in three had a bank account. 30% of children under the age of five showed signs of stunted growth due to malnutrition. And an estimated 1.8 million drug users lived in the country. Given these stressful realities, Filipinos viewed karaoke as a way to relieve anxiety. Filipino clothing vendor Erlu Barkersell told the media outlet Reuters, here in the slum areas, when they have problems, they drink a little and sing. For a moment, they forget about their problems. Barkersell didn't just imagine this transformative feeling. According to the Chicago Tribune, scientists have actually measured the positive effects of singing on a chemical level, and the results were remarkable. The act of singing stimulates the production of oxytocin and endorphins in the brain. These chemicals result in feelings of elation and pleasure. Oxytocin even deadens anxiety. In a real and measurable way, karaoke provided Filipinos with a type of medicinal relief. It gave people a sense of safety, normalcy, and satisfaction. Disrupting someone's karaoke experience wasn't just ruining their good time. It would be the equivalent of interrupting a sacred meditation or stealing someone's antidepressants. For example, consider the 2018 murder we covered last episode. Two neighbors, Jose Bosmion Jr. and Rolando Canesso, got into an altercation after Bosmion grabbed the karaoke mic away from Canesso. Ultimately, Canesso stabbed Bosmion to death. There's no excuse for Canesso's actions, but understanding the significance he likely placed on karaoke might illuminate his mindset. When Bosmion grabbed that mic, he very well may have been undermining the best moment of Canesso's day, week, or even year. And that year may have been unimaginably difficult for most people. However, as intense as they are, Desperate economic realities only accounted for some of the tensions that arose around karaoke rage in the Philippines. Gender played a role as well. From 2000 to 2020, a machismo culture permeated the Philippines. Men were expected to display and take pride in their masculinity. Similar to alcohol, societal pressures acted as an accelerant to violence. If a man felt that another man had questioned his masculinity, the culture essentially required him to resolve the dispute physically. When Bosmion pulled the microphone out of Canesso's hands, Canesso may have felt that Bosmion was publicly undermining his masculinity. It would have been an enormous slap to the face. So, do societal expectations of masculinity explain why Canesso stabbed Bosmion to death? Maybe, in part. Machismo culture contributed to other incidents of karaoke rage as well, especially in bars that employed women. These female employees, known as GROs, sometimes offered patrons sex in exchange for money. And men almost always outnumbered the women, so competition for female attention ran rampant. Enough brawls broke out that Filipino karaoke bars created a new job title to mitigate disputes. The person in this position acted as, or even replaced, a traditional security guard. Bars almost exclusively hired people who were assigned male at birth, but either transitioned into a woman or presented themselves as feminine. 
The Tagalog term for these individuals is bakla. If a performance created unrest in the room, bar managers simply sent bakla employees on stage to perform stand-up comedy or sing a funny song. The interlude was meant to diffuse tension. Karaoke establishments chose gay men and trans women for two reasons. First, they existed outside of machismo culture because it rejected them. This allowed bakla employees to more easily de-escalate the tensions between machismo rivals, seeing as they were less likely to get involved. Second, patrons didn't view gay men or trans women as competitors for female attention. To be clear, a trans individual's gender identity and expression has nothing to do with their sexual preference. But bar managers either didn't care or assumed otherwise. Whatever the case, the role of the bakla employees worked. Filipino bar manager Mark Lanata told the New York Times that fights could break out simply over one patron looking at another the wrong way. He added that his role as a gay man helped curb violence. Of course, it didn't put an end to it. At least 12 karaoke-related murders occurred in the archipelago nation in the early 2000s alone. Naturally, violence in the Philippines wasn't just relegated to karaoke bars, and it may have been the result of a greater issue taking place in the country. In 2020, the World Population Review ranked the Philippines as the 30th most dangerous country in the world. And when it came to murders per capita, the Philippines ranked fourth in the world. And private citizens weren't the only ones committing murder. President Rodrigo Duterte's war on drugs dramatically increased violence against private citizens and decreased their human rights. Between July 1, 2016 and September 30, 2018 alone, the Philippine Drug Enforcement Agency reported that Filipino police killed almost 5,000 alleged drug users and dealers. Unidentified government-backed gunmen likely killed thousands more. Some have speculated that other vigilante assassins felt emboldened by Duterte's anti-drug rhetoric and murdering spree. As of this recording, Filipino citizens can essentially be killed with impunity by their government and their neighbors. The Filipino government hasn't released reliable data, so it's impossible to know just how many people Duterte's war on drugs has actually killed. But based on the government's desire to downplay abuse, it's safe to assume the number is far higher than what they've released. And it's not just the war on drugs that contributes to a tumultuous environment in the Philippines. In April 2019, the United States Bureau of Consular Affairs recommended that American citizens avoid travel to several regions of the country. They cited terrorist activity, kidnappings, bombings, and civil unrest among their reasons. Given everything, it seems more likely that violence infiltrated karaoke bars in the Philippines, not that karaoke somehow incited violence. When asked to comment on the intensity of karaoke rage in the Philippines, Roland B. Tolentino, a pop culture expert at the University of the Philippines, arrived at the same diagnosis. As he told the New York Times, the Philippines is a very violent society, so karaoke only triggers what already exists here when certain social rules are broken. 
But there's still one element of karaoke rage that Tolentino didn't have an explanation for, a more specific trend. 12 deaths inexplicably linked by one song. Frank Sinatra's My Way. Coming up, what makes My Way the most dangerous song on earth? Now back to the story. So far, we've examined the elements of karaoke that foster violent outbursts in karaoke establishments. Cultural context sheds additional light on the more murderous examples of karaoke rage in Japan, China, and the Philippines. But we've yet to discuss the most famous and perplexing aspect of the karaoke rage phenomenon, the My Way murders. Between 2002 and 2018, more than a dozen people were murdered directly before, after, or during karaoke performances of Frank Sinatra's song, My Way. The bizarre circumstances spawned countless theories that attempted to find a connection between the classic song and the violence. We know that Sinatra openly resented My Way. In 1979, he told a Chicago crowd that the song tortured him. Of course, the simplest explanation is that he grew tired of the repetition. Having to perform the same song day in and day out would wear on anyone. That said, Sinatra recorded My Way in 1968, at a time when he'd been on top of the music industry for 20 years. His repertoire already included countless hits, he had any number of songs to loathe. For this reason, some theorists have suggested that Sinatra may have known about the song's alleged blight. Others have speculated that he may have even made a deal with the devil in exchange for its success. And it was very successful. At the time of its release, My Way spent an unprecedented 124 weeks on the UK singles chart, in the entire history of music, no other song has ever come close to this feat. If Sinatra made a deal with the devil, it must have included a clause that Sinatra's agreed-upon consequences wouldn't kick in for 30 more years. As far as we can tell, the song wasn't associated with anything evil until the 2000s, after Old Blue Eyes was dead. But it's worth mentioning that by that time, My Way was already steeped in Filipino superstition. In 2017, Filipino politician Randy Bong Reyes acknowledged the song's so-called curse right before meeting an untimely death. Reyes even joked about the perils of singing My Way during a Christmas party. Minutes after the song ended, two assassins arrived on a motorcycle and shot at Reyes, killing him and injuring another bystander. It's certainly an eerie coincidence, but it's likely nothing more. Tondo Police Chief Investigator Inspector Adonis Sugi suspected that the murder was a targeted assassination carried out by trained killers working for local drug dealers. While 12 deaths connected to one song sounds like a lot, the number is actually minuscule when compared to the amount of people who sing it on a daily basis. In other words, if the curse was real, its fatality rate would be negligible at best. There were also more concrete reasons as to why My Way gave rise to a string of murders. The most obvious being the song's content. 
Its lyrics were swaggering and braggadocious by design. Fans of My Way argued that its peacocking is part of its charm. But as it turns out, many people found its lyrics arrogant and downright annoying. At least one expert agreed that the song's content made it more likely to generate violence. Butch Albaracin owned the Center for Pop, a well-known singing academy in Manila. In 2012, Albaracin told the New York Times that I did it my way is so arrogant. The lyrics evoke feelings of pride and arrogance in the singer, as if you're somebody when you're really nobody. It covers up your failures. That's why it leads to fights. Here's an excerpt from the song. When there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall and did it my way. Paul Anka wrote the lyrics for Frank Sinatra as he neared the end of his legendary career. But even Sinatra found the tone of the song to be a bit much. In 2000, the crooner's daughter, Tina Sinatra, told the BBC he always thought My Way was self-serving and self-indulgent. He didn't like it. Self-indulgence in any form likely didn't sit well in the machismo culture of the Philippines, especially if the singer's talents didn't match the lyrics. My Way is a famously tricky song to sing. Between the verses and the chorus, it covers an impressive amount of musical ground in multiple keys. Even Sinatra talked through certain sections. For the average drunk bar-goer, My Way would be borderline impossible to pull off. Without Sinatra's signature charm, experience, and reputation, even speaking certain sections would be a surefire way to make the hubristic lyrics sound downright ridiculous. Not to mention, Sinatra had devoted fans all over the world. It's unclear how many he had in the Philippines, but it's safe to assume the standards for singing a Sinatra song were probably higher than the average karaoke track. Even for people who aren't passionate about Sinatra's rendition, a sloppy rendition can make my way painful to listen to. And if there's one thing hardcore karaoke fans can't stand, it's bad singing. In fact, bad singing reportedly caused one of the earliest My Way murders we discussed last episode. In 2007, Romy Baligula infuriated a security guard named Robolito Ortega with his lackluster performance of My Way. Baligula only delivered a few lines before Ortega harassed him for singing off-key. Baligula's cringe-worthy performance apparently turned murder-worthy when Ortega shot and killed him. Like most cases of karaoke rage, we don't know what, if any, pre-existing conditions factored into the event. We do know that Baligula instigated the fight and Ortega brought his gun to the bar. But witnesses claimed they didn't know each other before that night. A tone-deaf performance could have been the only motive Ortega had for murder. However, if a subpar performance was considered punishable by murder anywhere in the world, it stands to reason that karaoke-related murders would be considerably higher. As Filipino karaoke enthusiast Hoon Vista put it, even if you're out of tune, you have to sing. As it turns out, the most compelling theory behind the My Way murders is also the most mundane. 
the song is just plain popular. In 1994, as karaoke took off in the United States, Time magazine deemed My Way one of the most popular song choices in the country, especially among individuals who'd had a lot to drink. If the same held true in the Philippines, the song was more likely to provide a backdrop to any incident of violence. More likely than not, there isn't one explanation for the My Way murders, but many. A high saturation of violence in the Philippines simply collided with the popularity of My Way, resulting in the My Way murders phenomenon. An investigation into each individual incident would likely provide concrete answers. That said, there is no explanation for the umbrella term, karaoke rage, likely because this intriguing phenomenon isn't real. Remember, the world only paid attention to karaoke rage once Western media coined the term. Someone somewhere happened to notice a bizarre connection to a string of violent incidents. Then they searched for more examples. Why? Because it's an interesting story that sold papers. It wouldn't be the first time. Take, for example, the Seattle windshield pitting epidemic of 1954. Residents from nine different U.S. states started noticing unexplainable holes and indents in their windshields. The mystery spawned some wild theories about what could be causing the holes, including secret nuclear testing and acid bugs. It led to mass hysteria. In reality, the media attention caused residents of those states to examine their windshields more closely. They only saw the scratches and holes because they were told to look. If we wanted to provide proof of a phenomenon called the Bud Light murders, which we just made up, we could probably find so-called evidence. One of the most popular beers in the world has almost certainly witnessed a murder or two. Is it responsible, though? Probably not. We don't know the most popular karaoke song in the Philippines currently, but chances are it's seen its fair share of violence, too. Maybe even more than my way. And maybe the time and energy spent searching for answers to the My Way murders would be better spent solving other conundrums, like putting an end to the systems that made violence in the Philippines so prevalent in the first place. When it comes to solving mysteries, some are more worth it than others. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back Tuesday with another episode. For more information on Karaoke Rage, amongst the many sources we used, we found the New York Times article, Sinatra Song Often Strikes Deadly Chord, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, 
Sound design by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Hannah McIntosh, with writing assistance by Ali Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Hi, listeners. Trust me, you don't want to miss the intense new ParCast original series, Medical Murders. From trauma surgeons to hospice staff, medical professionals are trained to give exceptional care. But what about those who use their skills not to heal, but hurt? Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead use their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.